is the Mulberry Lane Show. The Mulberry Lane Show. Exclusive interviews, fun, music, celebrities. Your weekend getaway. Here's Mulberry Lane, Rachel, Bo, and Ellie Cat. Be a part of the family. Hey, it's Rachel here with your radio sisters, Bo and Allie, and it's time for the Mulberry Lane Show. Glad you're here with us today. We got a show packed full of artists you're really going to enjoy hearing from today. That's right, Bo. And we want to give a big shout out to you guys for joining us here every weekend. We love putting this show together for you. And there's many things that you could be doing with your time. And we're glad that you choose to spend an hour with us. Even if you're multitasking, if you're listening, we love you. Mm-hmm. Okay, sisters, let's get to the guests. All right. The Mulberry Lane shows on Celebrity story songs You're gonna have it going on When we tell you who's stopping by now Up first, entertainment journalist Nancy O'Dell That's right, Bo And Nancy stops by your weekend To talk all about her series called Nancy O'Dell Remembers And Nancy shares with you Some of the behind the scenes In the making of this new series Plus a few of her favorite celebrities She's interviewed You're gonna love how she gets real About being real with the celebrities Mm Mm-hmm Okay, Rachel, who's next? Well, next up, you're going to meet a Broadway star. Now, Laura Dreyfus stars in the Tony Award-winning Broadway hit musical, Dear Evan Hansen. Now, this is a complex story, kind of a heavy story. She's going to give you the scoop on the story and her character, and you'll also get a peek behind the curtain at what happens backstage in a Broadway musical. And Laura's here today to tell you all about the Dear Evan Hansen original Broadway cast album. And this album contains some really well-written songs. It'll really move you. So if you're one of those car belters, you can uh, turn this up and drive around and have a fabulous time listening to yourself belt Broadway tunes. That's right, but there's also some pretty intimate, quiet songs too, so you could have both extremes. <laughs> okay, Allie, who's next? Okay, well then you're going to meet kid actor Scott Schwartz. Well, he used to be a kid. <laughs> and you know him as Flick, the boy who got his tongue stuck to the flagpole in the classic movie A Christmas Story. Well, he's going to be coming to Omaha at the Jocelyn Museum on November 10th for the 41st tribute to classic films. Here you can get a screening of A Christmas Story and there's going to be a meet and greet. Some of the people from the cast, including Scott, will be talking about the making of the film and you can get an autograph too. So it's a pretty cool and unique event for the Heartland. You can get tickets in Omaha at Hy-Vee's at the customer service counter. A don't miss event. Absolutely. Okay, sisters, who's next? Finally, you're going to hang out with an incredibly talented author. Her name is Nick Stone. Her debut novel, Dear Martin, is gaining lots of critical acclaim and a lot of attention. You're going to want to hear the premise of the story and why it's an important read in today's society. Oh, yeah. And the Martin in this title refers to Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who the main character writes letters to throughout the story. So this novel is a historical and modern take on today's race relations. Okay, girls, I'm ready to dive into the show, but I got a quick story to share with you first. All right, lay it on us. Well, you guys can understand this is a busy time of year with Halloween and getting costumes and a lot of fall things going on. And I just had a very exhausting last couple of weeks. Okay. 
So I was really low on groceries, and sometimes when this happens, I just order my groceries online and have them delivered through hy Yeah, that's a great service. Yes. So it was about one in the morning. I was super sleepy, but I had to get this done because I desperately needed groceries for yes, the next you gotta, day. Got to feed your kids. Yes. So <laughs> I had most of my list done, but I needed ketchup and I needed maple syrup. Two of the most important food groups. <laughs> exactly. So I was putting these in the search field. And I fell asleep at the computer and, you know, I nodded off and my head bobbed. And when I looked up, I saw that I put in the search field, maple ketchup. (laughs) That is a testament to how tired I was. Well, you know what? I think kids everywhere would love maple ketchup. (laughs) It might become a thing. You could have it on your pancakes and your burgers (laughs) and your fries. It should be maple bacon ketchup. (laughs) Now that's getting into guy territory. (laughs) And this is the girl show. (laughs) That's right okay guys we're gonna be right back with entertainment journalist nancy odell hanging out with you here on the mulberry lane show brought to you by braddock finnegan dermatology know it meet the celebrities on your radio station Back to the Mulberry Lane Show. Now, here's Mulberry Lane. Well, you know her as host of Access Hollywood and Entertainment Tonight. Entertainment reporter Nancy O'Dell has a series on the Reels Network called Nancy O'Dell Remembers. And it's going to give you a new perspective on some of the biggest celebrity stories of the last 20 years. Today you'll meet Nancy O'Dell. She's got a lot to tell. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man, I wish I would get sung on to every single show. <laughs> oh, cool. It'd be great if somebody, like, when I came on the set of Entertainment Tonight, if somebody sang for me. Yeah. <laughs> well, great to have you with us. Good to talk to you. Okay, Thanks so, for having me on. Sure. Now, in the series, Nancy O'Dell Remembers, you get into some depth on some of the most memorable stories you've covered, and you've covered a lot. So did you have a hard time narrowing down the stories to include? We did. I mean, there are those uh, stories that you remember where you were and what you were doing when something happened. The huge tragedy or the passing of a celebrity you just didn't expect, you know, the passing of Robin Williams and Michael Jackson, Princess Diana, Joan Rivers. And talking about covering those things, you're probably going to learn a lot of things that you didn't know about okay. how it all happened. The inside perspective of what it was like to cover those, you know, okay. being in London. Now, do you right ever get passing of Diana. emotionally moved on camera? Oh, yeah. The, in fact, in the episode, you'll see. And this is kind of the behind-the-scenes thing as I'm interviewing um, Melissa Rivers. And so you'll see the interview that I did with her shortly after the passing of Joan. But what I'll be telling you is how difficult it was for me to go into that interview because I had lost my mom to ALS. Okay. And so having to sit here and talk to somebody who I had, you know, seen so many times at the red carpet, considered a friend, and talk to her about the passing of her mom. It's like, you're supposed to be a journalist and not get, like, emotionally right, affected, exactly. but yet you can't help it. Uh-huh. Yeah, so it's one of the things I talk about. So now in doing these stories, did you learn anything that you didn't know? You know, I did, absolutely, in doing the research, because when you're covering it in the moment, there are so many facts and figures that are coming out, you know, really quick and trying to discern what is rumor and what is right. true, that, you know, to actually hear it all put together in one cohesive story after the fact, um, there was a lot of things that was like, I didn't know that. I didn't know that, you know, when we started doing our research and talking to different people. That. So now, do you enjoy the research part of your job? I do. I always have. I'm a big, you know, researcher. And okay. so, like, when I go to do a red carpet, I read all about the people so I can find out the latest news information or, you know, a little tidbit. And that's 
Or I think that a lot of the great stuff comes, like you may bring up something, just a little newsy item about them, and they'll give you something else. And as long as you're listening really well, you usually come away with some incredible news tidbit. Yeah. Now, has there been yeah. any question that you ever regret asking someone? <laughs> Only when you call them by the wrong name, which doesn't happen often. <laughs> but it can't happen at the award ceremony. As I always say that that's a little scary because you have so many award ceremonies from January to March, right. and there's so many different people, and they've usually been nominated for several different awards. So, right. you know, you may be like, congratulations on your nomination. And they're like, um, uh-huh. yeah, that was the Golden Globe I was nominated for, but I didn't get an Oscar nomination. And you're like, ah! What's so much to keep in your head. Yeah, you do. (laughs) Now, you're executive producer on this series, so do you want everything run by you, or do you kind of do your bit and leave it to the others? I do. I have two amazing parts that I've known for years and years and years. In fact, one of them was my very first producer over at Access Hollywood when I started back in 1996. So, I mean, they're great storytellers, and I've done so many different documentaries and things, and so they're really good at what they do, so I have a lot of trust and faith in them, but certainly been, you know, looking at the scripts and determining, you know, how we do it and what way we tell the story. And, you know, some of the stories, obviously, are only stories that I know from behind the seat. And so that's, you know, been my, of course, thing there. And then you said you were in London during the passing of Princess Diana, and you covered that on the show, right? Mm-hmm. I did it on Access Hollywood. I was on Access Hollywood at the time. started in 96 in September, and, you know, shortly thereafter, I get a phone call from my executive producer saying, you know, you're going to be flying to London and covering this story. And wow. just what it was like, and I take a lot of photographs, and I, you know, write a lot of things in my diary, so a lot of it is firsthand accounts of actually covering it. And personal Aren't you photos. glad you wrote all that stuff down, though? I know, yeah. It's always fun to, you know, go back and look back. Not mm-hmm. fun to remember what actually happened, right, but right. just see how it all unfolded. Did you have a premonition at all that you might someday want to put a show together like this? I didn't. It's just I'm a huge documenter of things and just always have been. And so I've always taken photographs galore because I firmly believe, you know, that especially for kids and stuff, it's just really important to to document their childhood and Mm -hmm. the bonding and everything. I think it does incredible stuff for bonding. Mm -hmm. It's just fun to, you know, go back and look at memories, you know. It's just a blast. You're a huge scrapbooker also. I am. I am. So I take a lot of photographs. I share a lot of those personal photographs from covering some of these huge stories as well. Entertainment journalist Nancy O'Dell here on the Mulberry Lane Show telling you all about her new series, Nancy O'Dell Remembers. You seem to have a genuine empathy for the celebrities and all of that. So where does that come from for you? You know, I think just generally caring about people. I had, like, two amazing parents that, you know, were just really sweet, good people. And I think it just comes from generally caring and being interested in people. I always say some of the the, uh, best things that come out of the interviews are usually something that a celebrity says, and you're just listening to what they're saying, and uh, and you follow up on it. A lot of people forget that they're human beings, and I think just always remembering that. And having done it for so long, you know, a lot of people are so starstruck by the celebrities, but I think I've done it for so long, talked to them for so long that, you know, they become friends and right. I just remember they're always human beings, you know, put on yeah. the band like we all do. Now, do you come across some up and coming new celebrities that you feel are starstruck by you? Um, you know, I never feel that way. I'm from South Carolina. I never feel that way. <laughs> you know, so I'm probably to them, I'm probably just some old lady. <laughs> so now before we let you go, what do you hope viewers take away from Nancy O'Dell Remembers? I just, I want them to hear the behind the scenes story of how, you know, it all went down and how it was to cover. And I think that we all, you know, feel something when these 
tragic stories happen. Sure. Because been a part of you remember, yeah, yeah, and you remember where you were and what you were doing when you heard the news, and it's because of that, because they were such a part of your life that, you know, maybe you remember Thriller coming out, and then you were in high school at the time, or college in the time, and, you know, like for me, like Robin Williams, it felt so sad when he passed away, one, because I just really loved interviewing him, and he just always made me happy. But two, because I used to watch Mork and Mindy growing up. And so it was a part of my, you know, felt like I was mourning a part of my childhood. And I think that's what happens when some of these tragic stories happen. Right. Well, we want to thank you, Nancy, for joining the show. Love hearing about the new series on The Reels Network. Thanks, Nancy. Thank Pleasure you. Time. Good to talk to you. That's entertainment journalist Nancy O'Dell here on the Mulberry Lane Show. And when we come back, it's Laura Dreyfus who co-stars in the hit Broadway musical Dear Evan Hansen. Keep it right here on the Mulberry Lane Show, brought to you by Product Finnegan Dermatology. Music, arts, and lifestyle. Back to the Mulberry Lane Show. Now, here's Mulberry Lane. Well, she co-stars in the hit Broadway musical and six-time Tony Award-winning show, Dear Evan Hansen. She plays Zoe Murphy. Now, the Dear Evan Hansen original Broadway cast recording has been released, and it's become the seventh cast album to reach the top 20 on the Billboard 200 album charts. Now, Laura Dreyfus is here to chat about the album and the show. Welcome, welcome to the show, Laura Dreyfus. Hi, thanks. <laughs> Good to have you with us. Thank you for having me. Okay, uh-huh. so first you got to give us a brief synopsis, and I know it's a complicated plot, but a brief synopsis of Dear Evan Hansen. Yeah, well, it's an original story, and it's about this kid in high school who has severe social anxiety, and he's having trouble connecting, but he finds himself fabricating a friendship with a kid who's passed away at school. It's sort of a moral dilemma for him and the audience because he's helping this grieving family cope, but at the same time, he's telling a lie, and he gets himself into hot water by doing that. So at the core of it, it's really a story about connection and connecting with your family and the people around you and discovering what that really means. Okay, now you play Zoe Murphy, so tell us about your character. So my character is a sister. Her brother has killed himself, so she's kind of grieving, but at the same time, he was a terrible brother to her, so she's struggling with the complications of that kind of grief. And she finds herself falling in love with Evan Hansen. Okay. So it's a complex character that you're playing, really, with lots of layers. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So now have you drawn from your personal life any of your experiences to bring into this character? Um, Well, fortunately, I have a very great relationship with my sisters, so that wasn't really something I needed to (laughs) use it for my personal life. But (laughs) I think at the core, we we all have a desire to be seen and heard, and especially when we're teenagers, that's such a difficult time. And so that was easily something I could relate to. And I think as an artist, we're constantly there trying Uh to do that. That's absolutely true. So now recording the songs, your solos are If I Could Tell Her and Only Us. So talking about the difference between being in the studio and recording these songs versus being on stage and delivering them to an audience. I mean, it's such a different experience. I only really had experience with performing for people. So that was an adjustment. Um, It's very sterile in the studio. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also, I think, such a more intimate experience in realizing that you can do almost more with your voice because there's a lot of subtleties that a microphone can pick up that maybe you can't do in a live performance. So discovering that has been really cool. So did you find yourself singing a little bit differently in the studio than you do on stage? Yeah, a little. 
little bit, not too much because we don't want to make it so different from right. what we do on stage. You know, Alex Lacamoire, who is our arranger for all the music, he did a really wonderful job of trying to capture what we get on stage, but make it into this focused, awesome studio sound. Okay, so now when you were in the recording, did you sing the song from top to bottom? Did you take it one verse at a time? How did you approach it? We did some different variations. We did a couple of takes where we just sang the whole song straight through. And then we would go back and sort of fine-tune certain things and make it sound exactly how we felt like it should have sounded. Now, what about, like, the cast numbers? How were those recorded? We all kind of came in individually. We did small groups here and there. One of the biggest numbers that we did was You Will Be Found. And Uh I think I only recorded that with three people. Everyone sort of came in on their own time and did it, and then we, like, added our voices to what was already recorded. And then they put it all together. Yeah. So you had other people's voices in your headphones and you sang to it, or did you do it? Yeah. Okay, so you could match. Yeah. Well, if you just joined us, you're listening to the Mulberry Lane Show. Laura Dreyfus is here, star of the Broadway show Dear Evan Hansen. So now, what led you to get cast as Zoe? What was the audition process like? How did the opportunity come to you? Um, Well, I auditioned back when it was just a reading and it didn't have a title. I've always been a fan of Michael Greif, who's our director, and Benj and Justin, who are our songwriters. And as soon as I read the script, which was written by Stephen Levinson, I felt like, oh, this is such an amazing script. It's so natural, and I just felt like I needed to be a part of it. And And you felt it right away. It touched you. Oh, instantly, yeah. Everyone in the company knew, like, this is something really special. I don't think we could have predicted how far it would go. Uh Uh-huh. But yeah, from day one, we all knew that this was something really spectacular. So then how did you find out you got the part? Uh, My agent called me and told me that they wanted me for the reading. And as an actor, you do a lot of readings and you just don't really expect much from them because it's so easy to be recast, you know, because people want to see different people play the roles with Mm -hmm. good reasons. But they they kept us all throughout the entire process. So we were able to do it throughout the whole journey, which was such a special thing. So you kind of grew with the part and the cast and everything. So now what's it like backstage? at the show. Oh, God. (laughs) It's so fun. I mean, it's a cast full of comedians. Everyone's so funny. We have to do it because the show is so heavy. And, Uh you know, we have to bring levity to it somehow. So as soon as we're off stage, we're just joking around and trying to make each other laugh because we all realize how important that is. Any divas in the show? (laughs) Michael Park. (laughs) No hesitation there, huh? No, no, I'm kidding. (laughs) So now, how do you personally warm up and prepare for each performance? Uh, well, I have a vocal coach, Liz Kaplan. I work with her once a week, and okay. she kind of designs different vocal exercises for me. Because when you do the exact same thing eight times a week, your voice can get stuck. So you have to train your muscles to, you know, remember it can do different things. So do you try to change up your vocal performance from night to night? Um, I don't really change the vocal performance. I just try to change up the warm-ups. To remind, okay. to remind my voice, yeah. That's interesting. It's vocal memory, basically. Yeah, it kind of uh-huh. happens. You've also played Madison McCarty in Glee. So what was that like? You know, a TV show versus a Broadway show. What was the difference? Um, it's crazy. I mean, there's always a difference with the audience. With a TV show, it's really special because it lasts forever, but okay. you have less control over the end result. I think with theater, you just are doing the show. And if right. something gets messed up, you keep going. And uh-huh. that's the coolest thing about live theater is that it's unpredictable in that sense. Do you prefer live theater? I don't know. I think I have to say I prefer theater just because uh-huh. there's nothing like it. But I love telling stories through film and tv they're just such different mediums yeah Yeah, there's just something so special about theater it has my heart (laughs) (laughs) i can tell so now what's next for you well i'm doing the show for another six months and i'm gonna explore different things i'm really interested in songwriting and i've been doing that 
for the last couple months and hopefully release something in the next year. Yeah, just focusing on the show and being present. Yeah, awesome. that's good. That's and then what genre do you think, if you release something, would it be in? I'm exploring with different sounds, so I'm not quite sure, but I'm just trying to write something truthful to me. Definitely more of like an indie... Singer-songwriter. Like, yeah, yeah, definitely yeah. more of that vibe. Oh, that's fun. It's always nice to have a fresh project in the works. Yeah, definitely. Okay, now many people have dreams of Broadway. So what advice do you have for that person listening that wants to be doing what you're doing? Um, I think never giving up is really important. I think people are going to tell you no a lot and just believe in yourself and work really hard, take classes, study, but also surround yourself with people who inspire you. I like that. Great advice. Well, Laura, we want to thank you for joining the show. And when your album is ready to be released, you'll have to come back and join us again. Yeah, thanks for having me. That's Broadway singer-actress Laura Dreyfus here on the Mulberry Lane Show. Make sure you guys check out Dear Evan Hansen, original Broadway cast recording out now. When we come back from the classic movie A Christmas Story, Scott Schwartz is here. Keep it right here with your radio sisters on the Mulberry Lane Show. I don't need you to sell me on reasons to want you. Search for the proof that I should You don't have to convince me You don't have to be scared You're not enough Cause what we've got going is good I don't need more reminders Of all that's been broken I don't need you to fix What I'd rather Start over Try to quiet the noises in your head We can't compete with all that Now, here's Mulberry Lane. Well, last weekend, you guys met Zach Ward, who played Scott Farkas in the Christmas classic, A Christmas Story. Now you guys are going to meet Scott Schwartz, who played Flick, the kid whose tongue got stuck to the pole. Now, they're both going to appear at the 41st Tribute to Classic Films, which is happening November 10th at Jocelyn Art Museum in Omaha. But right now, you can hang out with Scott. Welcome, welcome to the show, Scott Schwartz. Well, thank you. Hello again. Hello. <laughs> we can all see you, Tom. I love that. That was really good. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about a Christmas story. So, how old were you when you filmed that? Uh, believe it or not, I was just a few months shy of fifteen. You got to talk about filming that scene. I'm sure you have talked about it millions of times. But what was that like? filming the scene where your tongue gets stuck to the pole. 
extremely cold. It was anywhere from 15 to 25 below zero. Oh, wow. That's cold. So when people ask me, you know, do you enjoy the movie-making process, I said yes, as long as there's a heater somewhere close by. Right. (laughs) And did they have a heater close by or no? Oh, no. No, 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 no. When you shoot film, everything has to be silent for the sound. The car that was probably within 25 feet of where we were. But every time you roll camera, you have to turn off the car because they don't want to hear the car engine. So what would happen is the car would get cold while we were shooting the scene. They would cut and say, okay, go get warm. Then they would throw the car back on, but the car was cold. (laughs) Because it wasn't running. By the time the car gets warmed up, they're like, okay, we're ready to go again. It had to go out again. Wow. How long did it take to film that scene? The first time we shot it was 12 and a half hours. No. That's from the beginning to the end of everybody at the pole, then the kids leaving, and then them shooting inside from the school, seeing me out there all by myself. It was 12 and a half hours. I imagine they didn't have your tongue stuck to the pole. So how did they make it look so real? There was a real pole, but they put a piece of plastic over it that they had painted to make it look old and rusty. Okay. okay. And they had stuck a tubing from the snow with a little motor, sort of like a small vacuum cleaner. And they put the, the tube up to where the hole was. So if you could just think, taking your hand and putting it over the vacuum hose, there's your suction. Oh, my god! So now you're almost 15 years old, you're filming the scene, in your head at that time, did you ever think that that would become such an iconic moment of film? No. You know, A Christmas Story is just one of those films that nobody really thought much of it except for Bob Clark. It was a labor of love. Bob was our director, and he really wanted to do it. It was his thing, and it was a small-budgeted movie. There's no big stars. There's no special effects. There's nothing. It's just a nice, warm, humble family movie mm-hmm. and you know due to fate and destiny as they call it it started small the few theaters it was in and then over the course of the years people found it on home video they passed around their home videos to their friends their family whatever and then once it found its way to to turner entertainment you know they did the uh, the marathon in 96 on tnt and now it's on tbs and uh-huh. You know, here we are 21 years later, and uh, they're running it, and over 50 million homes watch it, and it's become part of Americana, which, of course, none of us could ever have thought. Right. You're listening to the Mulberry Lane Show in the middle of your weekend with Scott Schwartz. He played Slick in the movie A Christmas Story. What have you done since A Christmas Story? I've slept a lot. (laughs) No, (laughs) No, I... Christmas Story is actually the last of three films that I did within a year's time. Okay. I shot a film called The Toy first with Richard Pryor and Jackie Gleason. Okay. I got done with that, and then I did another film called Kid Co. for 20th Century Fox. Got home, and then a month later, I started Christmas Story. Then I was doing, you know, little bit parts, went back to doing some commercials, and then puberty hit. Uh, That's just part of life. Right. So my face kind of changed. I got a couple little things here and there. I did A Time to Live, which was a NBC Movie of the Week with Liza Minnelli and Corey Haim. Wow. And Jeff Hunn. We had a great cast. Yeah, what was it and like working with Liza Minnelli? She was an interesting lady, I'll tell you that. She always treated us like her kids. The only thing I could say you know, about her was she was a professional on the set. She was never the overly friendly person, but she wasn't the other way either. It had to be about six months after we did it. She was in New York performing out on Long Island. I called her office and... 
told him who I was, and I wanted some tickets, and we had VIP tickets in the back, and she was wonderful. Took pictures with my family and my friend that I brought with me, and it was terrific. How cool. Oh, that's awesome. That's neat. How did you get the role for A Christmas Story? I went into audition on, like, December 15th or 16th, if I remember, and the toy had opened up in the theaters on December 10th. Okay. And Bob Clark went to see the toy and saw me. I see. He called me in for Christmas Story. It was, we call it in Jewish, a schmooze fest. Okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> he and I talked for 15 or 20 minutes. Uh-huh. He never handed me a script. He didn't say, oh, I want you to do this or that. We just talked. And he said to me, you know, I'm getting hungry. You want to go for a hot dog? We were in New York. We went on the street, me, him, and my dad got a hot dog, got a Yoo-Hoo, got a Kanish. Okay, great. We ate. We came back upstairs. He said, I got to tell you, it was really nice seeing you. Thanks for coming in. And I left. Wow. My dad and I walked up seven blocks to my agent's office, walked in, and she said, so how'd you think you did? I said, I don't know. I didn't read for him. We just had a nice chit-chat, whatever. She said, yeah, he already called. You got the movie. Oh wow. So that was probably the easiest audition ever. Ever. Almost ever. <laughs> there was a casting director in New York, and I had done a couple of jobs for him. And all of a sudden, he just started calling me at home. He called my parents at home, me, whoever talked to him. Uh, yeah, I need Scotty Wednesday morning, 1030. Here's the location. Okay, goodbye. The guy just booked me for commercial after commercial after commercial because he knew I could pretty much do anything. And he always put me in fun things. You know, he put me in an HBO commercial. Why? Because Sugar Ray Leonard, the fighter, was going to be there, and he knew I liked him. Wow. On November 10th, you're coming to the Jocelyn Art Museum for this tribute to classic films, which they're going to play, of course, A Christmas Story. So now, what can people expect at the event? You'll be speaking. You'll be answering questions. Talk a little bit about what you do. We normally do a Q&A either before or after the film. We also do an autograph signing, you know, take pictures with fans. There is a charge for that. It's not free. You know, you have to say that. You know, people can ask their questions. They can share with us experiences. Neither Zach or I are inverted. We're very extroverted. So it's like, (laughs) we're going to answer your questions, you know. And I know you do a lot of this kind of thing. So has there ever been a question just so far out of left field that you were taken aback? People have asked me, did you do drugs with Richard Pryor? (laughs) You know, which, of course, was no. Richard, at that point, he had been past that part of his life. Okay. We went to amusement parks, movie theaters, video games. He, Richard and I had a blast. Wow, fun. Jackie Gleason was kind enough. When we had some downtime, they had a pool table. And he said to me, hey, kid, if you ever shot pool? And I said, no, I was four foot six inches tall. <laughs> and he's like, come on, I'll show you how to shoot pool. So we grabbed a box, and he took me and taught me how to shoot pool in the house. He, he taught me a lot of stuff. We had a lot of fun for the better part of a month. If we weren't shooting on the set, he was shooting pool with me. Okay. So many cool experiences you've had. Do you have a favorite? You want me to narrow it down to just one? It's almost impossible. I I bet. Going to the Planet Hollywood opening in Las Vegas with Sylvester Stallone. I had done two movies with his brother Frank, so I was with their party. Wow. Being in the tea room with Schwarzenegger, Steven Seagal, Whoopi Goldberg, Mark Wahlberg, and Ricky Lake, who I went to school with. And that was a great experience. All right, well, Scott, we want to thank you for joining the show, telling us about your experiences, and you guys can meet Scott Schwartz from A Christmas Story, November 10th, Jocelyn Art Museum. So, Scott, thank you so much for joining the show, and you'll have to come back. Absolutely. You guys are fun. (laughs) I can come and sing with you guys. We'll hold you to it. 
Okay guys, you can get tickets to this event at the customer service counters of Omaha High Bead Food Stores. If you live outside the Omaha area, you can call 402-932-7200 for tickets. When we come back, it's author Nick Stone. She's going to tell you about her new book, Dear Martin. Keep it here on the Mulberry Lane Show, brought to you by Braddock Finnegan Dermatology. We've got you covered. The Mulberry Lane Show. Now, here's Mulberry Lane. Well, her debut novel for young adults will have you questioning what you think you know about race relations in society today. Right now, you're going to hear all about the book, Dear Martin, from author Nick Stone. And then you guys got to pick up the raw and gripping read that's getting alkylate after alkylate. Welcome, welcome to the show, Nick Stone. Thank you. That was awesome. Thanks. <laughs> Great to have you with us. Okay, so now the layout of this book. It's so effective. You know, it's about a 17-year-old young man trying to make sense of disparities in race, and he writes letters to Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. So there's historical context against the backdrop of today's issues. How did you come up with this concept? It started with the death of Jordan Davis back in 2012. He's the kid who was killed in Florida after an argument over loud music in a convenience store parking lot. At that point, I had a five-month-old little boy, and it occurred to me that there's going to come a time when people look at my son and they see a threat instead of a person. And since then, I've had another son. (laughs) So now it's like this double consciousness of this thing. And, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement took off 18 months or so Mm -hmm. later, and I kept seeing people quote Dr. King in opposition to Black Lives Matter protests and marches. And that just didn't work for me because, you know, I've studied Dr. King myself, Uh and Black Lives Matter is exactly what he did. You know, Uh he did the same nonviolent protest. That was his way of bringing about change during Uh the civil rights movement. So the idea of people saying, like, well, he would be appalled or, like, he would not stand for this, I just had to explore, like, what would he say? How would he react? So now, what did you do? Did you go back and research his speeches? How did you bring this into today? Yeah, that's exactly what I did. So the story of the book itself is a bit interesting because it's sold on proposal. Like, it's sold on, like, 13 pages. I wrote a summary of what I was thinking about doing, and I wrote a couple of sample chapters. But that meant I only had this, like, short window of time to write it and research it simultaneously. Um, Most of my research came from this kind of compendium of Dr. King's teachings and letters and books. It's called A Testament of Hope. It's like over a thousand pages long, and it is just fantastic. And, like, I got to really compare. It was cool having it all in one place because I got to compare what he said in this book with what he said in this speech and what he said in this sermon. So the research process was a little bit excruciating, I won't lie. Is that something you enjoy doing? Yeah, I love researching. I love asking questions. And, I mean, hopefully that comes across in the book. You uh-huh. know, I really want the book to stimulate people question asking. Mm-hmm. Question asking, I'm making that a verb. One of the people ask questions. Mm-hmm. Okay, so then, you know, as you dove into this, did your characters kind of spring to life from that or the conversations in the book? What informed each? Well, the characters 
characters tend to come to me pretty fully formed. Okay. Um, I'll write out a character profile before I start writing, okay. um, where I basically have this list of like 60 questions that I'll ask about the character, and I'll just fill it out. And so as I do this, like, you know, I learn more about the character's background. And you but get anyway, to know them. Yeah, you get to know them very well. And, you know, I start hearing the way that they sound so that I know what their voice is going to sound like on the page. Mm-hmm. And, of course, they're also kind of composites of people I know in real life. Uh-huh. The fun thing about writing this book was the characterization and okay. getting to, like, create these hopefully fully formed people. Okay, so let me ask you about one of the characters in the beginning of the book doesn't think there's any race problems, does not acknowledge it. So now when you have to write from that voice, is that difficult? Oh, that was the easiest voice to write. Okay. Because that's what I encounter the most to the ones that say, oh, no, this isn't a problem anymore. You need to stop playing the race card. Okay. Or the people that you tell a racist joke and you call them out on it and they say, you need to stop. I was just kidding. You're being too sensitive. Uh-huh. That's what I've encountered most of my life. Something you know well. He was so easy. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. He was so easy to write, okay. which is unfortunate, but right. it's true. Right. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, right now you're listening to The Mulberry Lane Show, and we're talking with author Nick Stone, who has a new young adult novel out called Dear Martin. Your backstory, personally, is so interesting. Before you became an author, you dropped out of college twice. You tried your hand at many different (laughs) career paths, and it was actually a trip to Israel where you kind of found yourself and your calling. So explain, you know, your journey. I went to Israel for a summer just to kind of explore. And my first summer there, I started encountering all of these people who I didn't know existed. You know, like their stories I didn't see in books. It made me want to write those stories down. Like, I've been an avid reader for as long as I could pick up a book. Uh But I didn't didn't think I could write fiction because I didn't see people who looked like me writing fiction. But eventually I decided to take that and become that person. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's really where it started is, is going to Israel, stepping outside of America, getting to see America from the distance, getting to see these things without being in the thick of them, and also interacting with people whose stories I hadn't heard before. That's what made me want to just give it a shot and just try to write something fictional. And so finally, what do you hope people take away after reading this book? I just want people to think critically and be willing to ask questions, first of all, of themselves, and then secondly, of the world around them. You know, like I, I try to present facts and statistics and things that people can look at and say, okay, this is how I'm going to decide to feel about this thing or to think about this thing. I feel like we're in this, like, dearth of critical thinking because everything's always moving so fast. We don't have time to think. Taking the time to stop and read the book will give people the time to stop and think as well. Uh And everyone's either on one side or the other without the nuance and empathy. Right. We're afraid of being wrong. So now, one last question. You have this debut novel that's getting acclaim. What's your calendar look like? And how do you feel about all this right now? I don't know how I feel because my calendar is bananas. (laughs) (laughs) You don't have time to feel. Yeah, like last week, I was on the West Coast and the East Coast and in South Carolina and in Oakland, California. I'm just all over the place until... November 20th is like when I get my reprieve. When you get to take a breath. And then I'll think about it and figure out how I feel. Okay. (laughs) And then do you have a second one in you? I'm sure you do, but do you know what it is? Oh, yeah, yeah. No, it's already, it'll be out next fall. It's just about done. Okay. Okay. Well, Nick, great to talk with you. You have to come back when the next one's out. Thank you. Take care. I'd love to. That was YA author Nick Stone. Her new book, Dear Martin, is vivid and powerful. You guys got to pick it up. Nick, thanks for joining us here on the Mulberry Lane Show today. And congratulations on such a successful debut novel. Go, Nick. Okay, Rachel, who else do we need to thank? 
A big weekend holla to Nancy O'Dell. Nancy, thanks so much for joining the show, sharing all about your show, Nancy O'Dell Remembers. You guys can check it on the Reels channel. And Nancy, thanks for sharing the behind-the-scenes stories of your incredible journalism career. And also today, we got to thank Scott Schwartz. He's the little boy in the movie A Christmas Story who got... Not a little boy anymore. (laughs) No, he's not. He's the kid that got his tongue stuck to the flagpole. Flick. And you can meet Scott in person at the 41st Tribute to Classic Films in Omaha at the Jocelyn Museum November 10th. You can get tickets at the Omaha Hy-Vee customer service counters. And Scott, thanks for sharing such a vivid account of filming that scene and what it was like being a kid actor in the 80s. Okay, girls, bringing up the caboose. Finally, a big Broadway curtain call to Laura Dreyfus. Now, Laura stars in the Tony Award-winning hit Broadway musical, Dear Evan Hansen, and the original cast album has just been released. You can enjoy all the songs from the show. And these songs are good. Listening to it earlier today, and there's a lot of well-written songs on this album. Yes, so you can break out the Broadway while you're driving around and belt out those Broadway tunes (laughs) with Laura. Thanks for sharing a peek into your career and a great look at what happens behind the curtain on Broadway. Oh, yeah. Okay, girls, well, the curtain's about to come down on this episode of the Mulberry Lane Show, but we will see you here next weekend, same time, same place. Same girls, same you, but different clothes. Let's hope. (laughs) All right, guys, see you next weekend. Bo, stay happy and stay blessed. Allie, don't forget to be awesome. Rachel, that's a wrap. Who's gonna find a missing piece and make this puzzle fit? Who's gonna miss the rocks ahead and keep the ship adrift? Who's gonna say the magic words to shake us from the dust? Who's gonna say that it's gonna come down to us? Who's gonna find the treasure map and lead us to the gold? Who's gonna give us everything?